This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well hey, good morning Anchor Church and welcome to Church Online. It is so good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We are continuing our Lord's Prayer series this morning. We're going to be diving back into Matthew chapter 6 today and I'm really excited and expectant about what God wants to do in our lives through this message. So we're going to read together. I know we haven't really done this, but um, I feel like we need to read the Lord's Prayer together. And so you can follow along on the screen to my side here. This is what the Lord's Prayer says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that your word is living and active like a two-edged sword. Uh, It judges our thoughts and attitudes, our hearts. We thank you that your word is like a, a seed that produces a bountiful harvest of righteousness in our lives. And so we pray now that as your word is sown, that it would not return to you void or empty, but you would achieve the purposes that you have set for this word today. And I pray, Father, that you would be doing things that would last for eternity in people's lives. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I actually want to start this morning with a bit of a heavy story um, because it's such an incredibly powerful story. On the 1st of February this year, 2020 at 8 p.m., two families, the Abdullah family and their cousins, were walking uh, in a quiet neighborhood suburb of Oatlands when a drunk driver mowed down seven children from this family, killing four of them, three of those siblings from the Abdullah family. Absolutely tragic, tragic story. In the days that followed, the family returned to the scene of the incident and uh, quite obviously the press were there and they rushed for interviews with the family to get their take, to get their opinion. And and one of the, the networks grabbed an interview with the mother and she said the things that came out of her mouth were staggering. Like, you can almost not believe what, what she says. In this interview, the, the reporter asks her about the man who's had this accident and she says these words. And honestly, these words are like, I mean, I'm I'm lost for words about how profound what she says is. She says this. She says, I can't hate him. In my heart, I want to forgive. But I also want justice. I can't hate him. That's not our faith. I forgive him. Now, I don't know about you, but as, as I heard those words, I mean, apart from the fact that, you know, as a dad, it kind of choked me up big time. But as I heard that, I thought, how is that possible Like, how is it possible for a mother who has just lost three children and her fourth is in ICU in a critical condition? Like, how is it that she could say something as profound as that? Like, I forgive the man who has just killed my three children. How is that possible? You know what's natural in that moment is to say, I hope that man rots in prison for the rest of his life. I mean, that feels to me like a natural response, right? I hope he burns in hell for what he has done. And yet, how is it 
that a mother can offer forgiveness in that moment. Now, let's be real for a second. Forgiveness is a journey. And the Abdallah family, as beautiful as it was in that moment, they are going to have to learn to forgive every single day for the rest of their lives. This is a journey. This is, it's easy almost to utter that in a moment, but to live a life like that, that's another thing altogether. How will this family not be consumed with bitterness and rage for the rest of their lives? Well, I want to suggest to you, it is only by the transforming power of grace that, we can, that anyone could utter those words and live those words. You see, when it comes to this concept of forgiveness, I believe that what is in you comes out of you. See, in that moment, that family didn't manufacture those words simply for a showing in front of the press or an audience in front of Australia. You know, that, that, that was in them. You see, that family lived by a different story. They believed and worshipped a God who was a God who would forgive sins. And that meant that they had experienced this forgiveness in their lives and what was in them came out of them in that moment. You see, when we encounter the forgiveness of God, when we, when we experience for ourselves, that completely changes it. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm still recovering from that moment. Like when I was a 17-year-old, when I first put my faith and trust in Jesus, I was flawed at the fact that God would love me and want to forgive me. All of my mistakes, my sin, my brokenness, the mess that I'd created, that God would forgive. That To this day, that still amazes me. You see, it's when we experience the forgiveness of God personally for ourselves that we begin to see how forgiving others is not only possible, but also joyful. I'll say that again. When we encounter the forgiveness of God personally for ourselves, we begin to see how forgiving others is not only possible, but also joyful. I wonder how many people at home watching today are in need of the power of God to experience His forgiveness for you personally because you are carrying a heavy load of guilt or shame over past mistakes in your life. I wonder how many people watching today need the power of God in their lives in order to help them to let go, to move on, to release a person that they are holding under debt because of something that they did perhaps many years ago. You know, I believe that God wants to do a powerful work of His Spirit through this Word today to change people's lives, to remove guilt and shame, to reconcile relationships that have been broken, to restore families. If we would seriously pray this line of the Lord's Prayer, it is radically transformative in our lives. You see, the Lord's Prayer reminds us of two things. It firstly reminds us that we need forgiveness from God. And it secondly reminds us that we need to forgive other people. And so you, you firstly see that the Lord's Prayer reminds us that we are sinners. Have a look at what it says there in verse 12. It says, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Now that word debts is a, is a financial term and it reminds us of our spiritual condition, that we are spiritually insolvent, that we are spiritually bankrupt, that by virtue of our rejection of God and the sin in our lives, we owe God a debt. And that word there, debt, is, it's describing the mess in our lives in financial terms. And in the first century, first century jails weren't full of hardened criminals, murderers, and uh, you know, they tended to be executed. You know, capital punishment 
First century prisons tended to be full of people who were slaves because of financial hardship or difficulty because they had become debtors to someone. And so Jesus, he uses this word to describe our spiritual condition that we are bankrupt spiritually before God. Now, I'm not telling you that this morning to make you feel bad. That's not my intent, but to give you an accurate picture of your soul, of of where you are, because we live in a world that just wants to affirm that you are great and awesome. And you are. You are because you are made in the image of God. You are great and awesome. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But the reality is you are a glorious ruin. We are sinful. We need forgiveness. You see, as if what was true is what Alnada reminded us last week. If our greatest physical need, according to the Lord's Prayer, is our daily bread, then our greatest spiritual need is forgiveness. There's a story that Jesus tells in Mark chapter 2 where a paralyzed man is brought to Jesus. He's teaching a crowded house and the room is so full that their friends eventually climb up on the roof and rip the roof apart and lower their friend on a mat right at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says in that moment, he looks at the man who is paralyzed and he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, why does Jesus say that? It's not that he is unaware of the bleedingly obvious problem that the man has, that he's he's paralyzed, his legs don't work. No, it's that Jesus perceives that this man has a deeper need, even deeper than the fact that he cannot walk. And that is his need is that his sins are forgiven. You see, he could walk out of there a healed man. But in 50 years' time, riddled with arthritis, lying on his deathbed, he faces his maker and his deepest need is that he needs his sins dealt with. He needs forgiveness. You see, we all need forgiveness because none of us have lived consistent lives before God. None of of us have been able to live up to the, you know, the, the two laws that summarize every law of God, that we ought to love God with all of our heart and we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. We just haven't done that. You know, even internally even we we not even lived consistently internally to our own internal morals whether those morals line up with god's morals or not no one has lived a consistent life we are in need of forgiveness and the wonderful assurance connected here to the lord's prayer that jesus teaches us he says pray this right and the beautiful assurance is that he offers us what we need if you fast forward to the end of matthew's gospel Jesus is the one who dies in order to cancel your debt, to wipe it clean, to secure your forgiveness. You know, that means that if that assurance is real and true and genuine, and it is, that means that we don't need to pray this petition of the Lord's Prayer with a question mark on the, at the end. As in, forgive us our sins, hoping somehow, maybe, that God might do it, but perhaps he won't. No, we pray this prayer with deep confidence because this is the type of prayer that God loves to answer with a yes. Remember in um, 1 John 1 verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. God loves to answer this prayer. There is no sin that God cannot forgive. There is no debt that falls outside of God's ability and capacity to cancel and write off. You cannot out-sin his grace. Just think of all of the characters in in the Bible, Moses, murderer, David, murderer, Paul, murderer. And yet David is the one in Psalm, Psalm 51 who says, God cleanse me and I will be whiter than snow. We pray this prayer with deep confidence that Jesus offers us the forgiveness that we so desperately need. 
You know, I believe today there are people who are watching who are feeling completely weighed down by guilt because of past sin, crushed because you are walking in a season or a, a disposition of disgrace and shame. And I want to remind you that it doesn't matter what happened in the past, be it adultery or abortion or cheating or lies or violence or harsh words or rage and anger, whatever it is, there is forgiveness. And the solution is not to do what our world tells us to do and just minimize those things. The solution, rather than minimizing the significance of it, is to maximize the significance of what Jesus has done. He's washed us clean. You know, many years ago, when I was about 14 years of age, I, um, with a couple of mates, took my mum's work car for a drive and crashed it, rode it off. $20,000 worth of damage, brand new company car. And on my 18th birthday, I received a statement of liquidated claim from the insurance company. I didn't even know what that was, but effectively, they were suing me for the money that I had owed them. Obviously, I couldn't pay. I had no money, I had no job. And so my dad stepped in in that moment and he wrote a check and he canceled my debt to the insurance company. But in that moment, I became a debtor to my dad. And in his wisdom, he said I needed to pay him back. Now, I'll tell you, it took me three years to pay that debt back from 18 to 21. And every time in that three-year window that I spent money on myself, like I went to the shops and bought a new jumper, I felt guilty. I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy spending my money because I lived in, in this constant state of disgrace, of debt, of, of guilt and shame. And every time I spent money, it was a reminder to me that I owed my dad and I'd done this thing. But once I canceled the debt, once I paid the final payment and paid my dad back, I could spend my money with greater joy and freedom, not this guilt associated with it. I want to say to you this morning that we, you, we, we can live in freedom because God offers us forgiveness in Jesus. He cancels our debt and the payment that he cancels with is his life and his blood. And by faith, we can receive forgiveness. What a, what a wonderful prayer to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. Well, not only do we need to receive forgiveness, but we also need to forgive others. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this part of the Lord's Prayer, I'm always kind of shocked because it catches me by surprise, unexpected. I think growing up, I always thought the Lord's Prayer said, Lord, forgive me and help me to forgive others. Now, to be fair, it kind of does say that, but it says it in this very striking way. Come, come back with me to verse 12. This is what it says. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As. As we have forgiven. Now that sounds like you're praying, God, would you treat me the way that I have treated other people? And yeah, he is. I mean, that's what it's saying. Come, come with me. A few verses later, Jesus will go on to explain and unpack this a little bit more. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, he says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, as with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is trying to do here in the Lord's Prayer and in all of Matthew chapter 5 to 7, he's not satisfied with this like surface level, external based worship and righteousness. He's after a surpassing righteousness, an exceeding righteousness, one that goes above and beyond that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in the first century. 
He wants to drive these truths deep into our hearts that we wouldn't just mutter the words of the Lord's Prayer, but we'd actually live them and put them into practice. You see, what Jesus expects is that what God has done for us, we would do for others. That what is in us would come out of us. And if we don't live lives of forgiveness, if if we live continually holding a debt above another person or in unforgiveness and, and bitterness, then we are literally cutting off the branch that we're sitting on. Because in effect, what we're saying is we're putting ourselves above God. We're saying, well, God may forgive the person of that. I can't. I'm sitting above God. I'm withholding forgiveness. The God of the universe has forgiven that person, and yet I withhold it from them. When we live lives of unforgiveness, we cut the branch off that we sit on. You see, forgiveness requires us to release a person from a debt that has been incurred, to release them from a punishment, perhaps, that that is deserving. And that's natural, isn't it? When we're hurt, our natural response is to punish or to retaliate or to incite revenge. You know, we say that revenge is a dish best served cold. It tastes better at that point. But we need to remember that, that Jesus has already atoned for that person's sin. Particularly when we're talking about people within the family, within the faith, Jesus has atoned for their sin. And that frees us to forgive that person. Why? Well, because the offense that has occurred to you has not been overlooked, it's not been missed, it's not been neglected. Jesus has seen it and he's paid for it. He's dealt with it. He's set your offender free and he has given you the freedom to release them as well. You remember that parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 18 of the ungrateful servant. A servant is called before his master one day and yet the master says to him, you owe me two million dollars, two million dollars. And the servant pleads with him. He's about to throw him in jail. The servant said, please, please, please give me time. And the, and the master has complete mercy on him, cancels his debts, wipes them clean and sends the man away completely debt free. And as this servant leaves his master's presence, he stumbles across a man who happens to owe him $200. And he grabs him by the scruff of the neck and he says to him, he shakes him, he says, give me my 200 bucks. And the servant pleads him, he says, I can't pay you. Would, you, would you have patience with me, lenience? And that servant says, forget you. And he has him thrown in jail. That, that is completely incongruous with a person who has experienced the cancelling of debt, the forgiveness of sins, the the, the washing clean of a guilty conscience. We are changed when that happens. And that change ought to manifest in our lives, in our relationships, in our words, and in our offering of forgiveness. You know, Jesus paints a picture here in, in Sermon on the Mount of a new kingdom community shaped by the norms of this kingdom. And one of those norms is that we are forgiven forgivers. That, that's who we are. We are forgiven forgivers. There's a community of people who, who keep short accounts rather than revenge and, and grudges. Right? This is a, a picture of a community where we are real about our mess, but we're also big on grace. A picture of a community where, where we don't just run because things get, get hard. Excuse me. This is a picture of a community where we don't do pretend. But we're real with each other. A picture of a community so impacted and changed and moved and overwhelmed by the forgiveness that we have received from God, that we are compelled to forgive others, a forgiving community. And if there's anyone here this morning watching 
who's holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness. I want to offer you an invitation this morning to release that person from the debt that you're holding on to. Now, I'm not saying that forgiveness is easy. It's messy. It's hard. It's a journey. It's not even without consequence. right? Sometimes consequences are absolutely fitting when you offer forgiveness to a person. It's messy. It's difficult. But we begin as we remember what Jesus has done for us. The debt that God has cancelled for us is of infinitely more value than $2 million. We have been cleansed. We've been set free. We have been forgiven. You know, to be a disciple of Jesus, our working definition of a disciple here at Anchor is someone who learns to live and love like Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. Someone who is learning to love and live like Jesus. If you go to the end of Matthew's gospel, you'll read the account of the crucifixion of Jesus. On the hill of Golgotha, as the Roman soldiers stretched out Jesus' hands and feet and drove nails through his hands and his feet, Jesus utters one of the most profound prayers in the whole New Testament. He says in that moment, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus is the ultimate example of forgiveness. And we're called to follow him. So I want to say to you this morning, if you're watching and you don't identify as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come today. If you, if you have not experienced the cleansing and washing away of your sins, the forgiveness of God, that is on offer for you today. Jesus died on the cross. He has paid the penalty for all of your mistakes, all of your sin, all of your debts. He has canceled that and you receive that by placing your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Not by minimizing your mistakes, not by puffing up your achievements, but by coming to God and confessing your need and receiving by faith the forgiveness that's on offer. If that's you today, we would love to begin that journey with you. You can simply click the I commit my life to Jesus button today and our team will follow you up. We believe that you've started a brand new journey today. It's the best thing you will ever do in your life. God promises that he will make you completely new, wipe the slate clean, give you a fresh start today. We would love to follow you up. So please click that button in the chat uh, just on the side here and one of our team will get in touch with you. Fill in that form. Um, we, we will care for you. Uh, we would love to send you a free Bible, all of that stuff. So please, I know that's a bit weird, filling out details on a form. It's safe. It's confidential. But connect with us. We'd love, love to journey with you in that. What I say to you today, if you are a follower of Jesus, a Christian, someone who has received forgiveness, I want to remind you of two things. The first is you walk in freedom because you have been forgiven. forgiven. The debt has been cancelled. It's gone. You do not walk in debt anymore. We live in freedom. I believe there are people here today who need to hear that message. Shame and, and, and guilt have been dealt with. The second thing I want to say to you is that we are a community of forgiven forgivers. And if there are people within this church community or within the circle of faith that you have not been reconciled with, begin to pray this prayer with deep faith. Father, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who are our debtors. I want to close this morning by sharing a story with you of incredible forgiveness that I had the privilege of witnessing with my own eyes. Many years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church in the western suburbs of Sydney, and I remember 
on one Friday night, um, all of our pastors turned up to youth group to pick up one family of kids. And we heard later on that, um, that of the two families in this church, the two guys who were best mates, one of the guys, Todd, had had an affair with Joe's wife. And it was devastating. Like it ripped apart our church. It ripped apart two families. Fast forward many years later, um, Joe and Todd are sitting in church together, either side of my hero of the faith, senior pastor Ray Glear of MBM Rudy Hill, sharing their personal story, a story of forgiveness. You see, Joe Quattromani was able to release a debt that just seemed like no one could ever be able to release. And in this interview that they share, and, and perhaps we'll, we'll be able to share it for you on our, on our family page a bit later on today. But in this story, Joe talks about his personal journey of forgiveness. Here is a man, his best mate, who had not only taken his wife, his family was living in the house that he had paid for. And all of this, this rage and anger that Joe had felt, God processed. And, and Joe said, just the most profound lines. He said, you know, when I reflected on the fact that God had forgiven me of my sins, how could I not extend that to someone else? Um, the sad reality is Joe was diagnosed with a, an aggressive form of cancer. Um, he's since passed away. But in his dying days, the person who sat by his bed and read him the scriptures and ministered to him was his best mate, Todd, who had taken his wife and his family and his house. And in this beautiful moment of reconciliation by the power of the healing grace of God and the work of forgiveness in their life, these two brothers were reunited and forgiveness did a profound work. Joe went to his grave knowing that he was reconciled with his brother. Todd lost a brother in Christ knowing that, that there was reconciliation that he didn't have to carry for the rest of his life. For me, Joe Quattromani is a hero of the faith, a man who has not only died well, but lived well, and he lived this petition of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. May that be true of us, our lives, our church, our gospel communities. Bless you, Anchor Church, we love you. Let me pray for you as we send us out and transition to worship. Father God, we are overwhelmed by your grace and your forgiveness of us. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for cancelling the debt. Thank you for wiping the slate clean. God, we pray that we would indeed be a community of forgiven forgivers, people who would be so overwhelmed by your grace that it would ooze and flow and gush out of us. Make this community, our church, so distinctly different God, I want to pray in this moment that you would be healing relationships that have been broken, restoring families, God, where there has been pain and brokenness, restoring marriages that are walking through a season of difficulty. God, I pray that by the power of your grace, you would reconcile. And I ask this in Jesus' strong name and all of God's people said, Amen. Love you, church. Bless you. We'll see you back here at Church Online next week.